um, and praying about this, and this has been on my heart. If you want to turn to the to First uh, Peter, chapter one, the name of the lesson tonight is called "Suffering, Hope, and Eternal Perspective." Let's pray real quick before we get started. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for a chance to study your word. Thank you for the blessing that you are to this church. And thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. And read through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're going to start with that passage and we're going to end with it tonight. I want to talk about suffering and hope and our eternal perspective and why hope is important. But to get to that point, we're going to start with suffering. This has been the events of the last week. And you know, a lot of you know of all of what's gone in the area, especially just northeast of here where the tornadoes hit. Now, I had heard of the tornadoes. My parents had actually been camping in the area, and I had found out they were okay and all that. Didn't really think about where the tornadoes were. And I went to work on Monday morning, and I was talking to a coworker, and he described to me the highway that this tornado went down. And I said, well, my friend Toby and his wife and their family, they live there. And so I called up Toby at his office, and I couldn't get him. And I called him at his house, and then there was no answer. And I finally got someone at his office. I said, yeah, I'm a friend of Toby Schroer's. Is he in? And they said, well, we haven't heard from him, but the family survived. And I'm like, whoa, survived? What happened? Well, their house was destroyed, and they did not make it to the basement. Now, I took out of the office. I wanted to find them, could not find them. I went up to their house, and I found it. And this is what happened. There's a house here, and there's a house here, and they're both flat to the ground. And here's my friend's Toby's house, and there's this one little piece of the house where there's a bedroom, two bedrooms with a hallway in between. And, and I finally got an email from them, and they got to the hallway in the dark, found the three kids, she's seven months pregnant, and they huddled in this hallway ready to go, knowing it was the end. And it's the only piece standing in this area. These are good friends of mine, good folks, and it's easy to say, man, why? Why do they have to go through this? But they did survive, and they're thankful for that. I also got a call late last week. I don't know if anyone knows the quartet, Southern Gospel Quartet out of Finley, Ohio, called Sojourner Quartet. Um, Dave Barker is a good friend of mine, used to sing with them, and he's the bass for the quartet. And he's been diagnosed with incurable, inoperable throat cancer. And they told him, I talked to him on the way over to the church tonight, and they said that without treatment, in six months, he will die. With treatment, they can get him some longer. They can't cure it. They maybe can get it in remission. Such a good friend of mine, such a, uh, a great brother in the Lord. And you're forced to ask why. Why the suffering? Okay? 
So here's an age-old question that science and theology and philosophy has been trying to solve for all of time. Why do awful, terrible things happen to good people? Now, I've come up with the answer. I've solved the mystery of all time. So you're going to want to get ready and write this down. Here's the answer why awful, terrible things happen to good people. Because we live in an awful, terrible place. I know. Deep, isn't it? I was thinking about this. The other day, our basement flooded again for like the seventh time in five years. And I, I got busy and couldn't get it cleaned up right away. And so I had to get down there. And it's like five days later and stuff is starting to grow. And stuff is starting to smell. And so I spent the night doing it. And the next morning I woke up and I felt sick. I could just tell that I had ingested something through the basement. And I got to thinking about the comparison there is that it's not my fault that the basement is flooded and it's dirty, but I'm living in it at that point. And so I'm affected by some of my surroundings. In the same way, it doesn't seem fair when someone says, well, the world is a fallen world and that's why bad things happen to good people. When a young child is diagnosed with cancer and they die, or, or, a, or a couple that I know, they're in a car accident and they lose the husband, I say, well, it's not their fault that the world is sinful. Why should they suffer? It's just the natural law. It's the way of things. We live in this world. In the same way I was affected by whatever I ingested in that basement, we are living in a sinful, fallen world with awful things happening, and there is no promise that we will not be affected. It says in uh, Matthew, you don't have to turn there, Matthew 5.45, second half of the verse, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. There are just certain things that are going to happen here, and they happen to everybody, and we're not exempt. In John 16, verse 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, here's a promise, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. God can choose to protect us, and many times he does, and he blesses us. But he's already promised in advance, in the words of Jesus, you're going to have trouble. Just count on it. Saved, unsaved, good person, bad person. You're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. That's why hope is important, because suffering is coming, and at some point it will touch you in your life. So I spoke to my friend's wife, the friend with the cancer. I spoke to his wife earlier this last week, and she's a basket case. She's a wreck. I've been married to this man for all these years. What will I do if something happens to him? What, what am I going to do? And she said, through her tears, he's such a good Christian man, why is this happening? Now, she's in the depth of her despair right now, and I'm not going to say, go into a philosophical argument of like, well, you shouldn't really say that, Carol. I just let her cry, and I told her I loved her, and I prayed for her. But don't we kind of fall for that? Well, they're Christians, so this shouldn't happen to them. Aren't there teachings in churches around this country that are packing them in by thousands because they're tickling their ears and allowing them to hear what they want to hear? That if you come and you serve the Lord, you are going to be rich and healthy and wise and powerful and nothing bad's ever going to happen. Who would not love that teaching if that were true? That's great. Where do I sign? There's only one problem. It's not true. Not in the scriptures anywhere. Look at the early Christians. If anyone's going to be the example for us in our walk of faith, would it not be the early Christians after Christ has ascended? Right at first, things are pretty good. And they're popular with everyone around. But what very happened very quickly? Persecution. Murder. Scattering. 
going because they were persecuted. They were tortured. They were killed. There's a book out there, if any of you have ever read it, Fox's Book of Martyrs. tells about some of the ways that, in theory, some of the disciples were killed. You hear about them being sawn in half and thrown from the temple and, and stabbed and burned. Yeah, prosperity teaching doesn't really line up with those first apostles. They didn't find it to be so. The other mistaken statement I've heard with that type of teaching, I knew a woman one time whose son was sick and she, he wasn't being healed. And she says, isn't my faith strong enough? Our faith can be damaged and harmed if we don't realize the truth of what we've said here previously. Suffering will come. Now some of us are protected throughout life. It seems those that are blessed that are never touched. But in one way or the other, at some point, suffering will come. And it's important we understand that. But then comes the next question, the one that Carol asked about her husband, the one that we ask about these little kids that we see kidnapped or, or murdered or whatever. When these awful things happen, what do we ask? Why? I only hope that if I was going through what my friend is going through, that I could be as strong, but I will not criticize her for asking why. And here's the thing. I heard a man speaking on the radio this week. He suffers from cerebral palsy, and he has a ministry where he ministers to those. And here's this man. I heard him when he was interviewed at seven-year-old with James Dobson, and then all these years later, now that he has this ministry, and he said uh, just a wonderful statement. He said, God is not afraid of the question, why? I mean, he knows you're thinking it. You might as well just ask it. But if you're going to ask the question, are you ready for the answer? In the book of Psalms, David and the other authors of the Psalms ask the question over again. Psalms 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? We know he wasn't hiding, but that's the way it appeared to the person in trouble. Psalms 22, the psalmist said this, and Jesus quoted it as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms 88, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? If we're going to ask the question, can we take the answer? Turn, if you would, in the book of John, chapter 9. Maybe in verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. Christ meets a blind man. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man's parents that he was born blind, or this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And as many of you know the story then, Jesus went on and he healed this man. That's a great story. If I'm that man... And I'm listening. You see how the question was posed. Did he sin or did his parents sin? This is probably not the first time he's heard this. He's probably been putting up with this for years because in that time period, they believed that if something happened to you, it was a direct result of your sin. Okay? So 
He's probably heard this whole life, you sinner, that you brought this on yourself, or your parents brought this on yourself. And he's probably listening to Jesus talk, and Jesus is saying, neither this man or his parents sin. And he's like, yes, that's right, you tell him, Jesus. And then, and then Jesus said, it was so that my purposes could be filled, or that, how did it say it here, um, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And at that point, I would have said, yes. What? Are you telling me that from birth... I have suffered and been blind and been persecuted and been ridiculed and accused of sin so you could make a point? Now, is Christ ever wrong? No. We know that if he did it, it's right. But if I'm that man, I'm saying, why? Couldn't you pick somebody else for that job? But God had a purpose. God used that man. And that man was healed, and I'm sure he was thrilled. At that point, he probably wasn't thinking, why? He was thinking, I can see, I can see. Sometimes the things that happen, the bad things that happen, are simply just to serve his purpose, God's purpose. We might not like them. When I spoke to my friend tonight on the phone, and he was telling me about his chances of survival, you would expect to hear a person like that speak in bitterness and in sadness. But my friend Dave... My friend Dave is a born-again, spirit-filled child of God. And what he told me tonight was, well, this isn't for me anyway. Somebody needs to hear this. And I said, well, Dave, I said, when can I come up and see you? I'd like to come up and visit. And he said, well, they're telling me we have to cut back on the visitors because of the immune system and all that kind of stuff. And I knew what was happening. I'm like, Dave, you've had a lot of traffic up there, haven't you? He's like, I, I can't believe how many people have come. Because I know the lives this man has touched with his witness already. But now his witnessing has gone to a whole new level. Because people will come in, see this man, see their friend, see a diagnosis that's not good. And then when he told the doctors in typical Dave Barker fashion, he said, well, no offense, but I don't really trust your numbers very much. Because he knows and he believes that if God wills, there is a 100% chance that my friend will be healed. And he knows that if God does not will that, that there's a 100% chance that he'll be really healed. <laughs> now, that's not what I'm praying for, even though for the ultimate good, my friend will be much better off if he's in heaven. But I'd sure like to keep him. But that might not be God's will. And if we're going to ask him why, we have to be willing to take the answer. That is where we have to be willing to trust God's character over his actions. You've heard the term within the scriptures, the sacrifice of praise. We bring the sacrifice of praise. It's interesting that I'm writing this lesson and I don't know what songs that they have picked out for worship tonight. And as we're singing tonight, I'm looking over. Uh, the, it's not here. The book's not up here. That's all right. It's the blessed be the name of the Lord. And one of the last lines in there talks about in the road of suffering. Let me actually grab it from Kathy here. If it's real close by. You know, funny, I've sung this song over and over again. I don't know how close I ever listened to it. But the last paragraph we went through. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world is all it should be. Blessed be your name. Well, isn't that convenient and easy? The world's good. Blessed be your name. But what's the next two lines? Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. 
Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. I remember a few weeks ago, and Kathy can attest to this, we were practicing for praise and worship. And I had had one of those weeks where more than just bad events, whether it's spiritual, physical, whatever it is, I was just not ready to be up there singing. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to go back with the youth and teach. I didn't want to be a Christian. Now that sounds extreme. I probably didn't actually think that, but that was my mindset. I was just so... And and the, the frustrating thing is I didn't even know why. All I knew is that I was so filled with negativity and sadness that nothing would fill it. And what I told Kathy is this is one of those nights where we bring the sacrifice of praise. Because God doesn't become less praiseworthy all of a sudden because I'm in a bad mood. If good things stop happening, he doesn't suddenly become less good. How many are guilty of this phrase? Something really good happens to you. There's a miracle and your child is healed or whatever and you're like, oh, God is good. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that. It's true. But if your child wasn't healed, would you suddenly not say? Or would it suddenly become less true that God is good? Does his goodness depend upon whether or not you get your prayer request? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just because it doesn't go our way, he doesn't suddenly become less good, less perfect, less magnificent, less praiseworthy. That doesn't mean we're going to like the decisions. I don't like it when I see the innocent suffer. In this tornado that hit, a co-worker of mine has a friend who had been to the hospital to see her father who had just had a serious surgery, and her and her sister were in one car, and her mother was in the car in front of them. And as they drove home, they saw the tornado take their mother, and she died. I don't like that. I'll just be honest. I'm like, God, I I don't like that at all. I don't like it when I see children that are sick and dying. I don't like it when you see these kidnappings and abductions and murder. I don't like it when there's a random accident that for no reason happened just other than random circumstance. I don't like that. Does God become less good? In Job, and you're all familiar with the story of Job, God was so impressed with his servant Job. And Satan had come to accuse the saints. And and God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's a preacher on the radio. I've probably said this before from up there. There's a preacher on the radio that I love And he says, you know, I want to be good for Christ. His name is Steve, the preacher. He says, but I don't want to be so good that God says, have you considered my servant Steve? I don't want to be quite that good. Have you considered my servant Job, God said, and he allowed Satan to torment him, to take his kids. His wife was mercilessly going after him saying, just curse him. Look what he's done to you. Curse God and die. Now, I don't know if he said this in response to that statement, if he said it at another point, but he said in Job chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, I will trust him. That is trusting in God's character 
not his actions. Because we're not, I'm going to tell you right now, are not always going to understand or approve of his actions. If we were God, well, I wouldn't have made that choice. Well, good thing you're not, because he's got a plan. And though he slay me, I will trust him. So that's where we come to the third piece, which is eternal perspective. The Christian worldview, how we look at things. There was one time Heidi had gone off to somewhere and she had the other kids and I had baby Holly. At this point she's probably six months old. And I had Hope who was that time maybe two. Okay? Now Hope's got this, a specific personality. My new nickname for her is Panic Attack because that is how she treats everything. It just freaks out for anything. Okay? And so whatever we were doing, whatever went on, one started crying and the other started crying and I had one on this knee and one on the other knee and I'm sitting on the bed bouncing and they're both just wailing. And it got to be so ridiculous that I finally couldn't help anymore and I just started to chuckle. I'm just like this, because I knew nothing was really wrong. I knew that they were going to be okay, the world was not ending, they were just both that upset, just loud, obnoxious screaming and I just couldn't take it anymore, I just laughed. Do you ever think that maybe God does that to us? Where we're just so upset that just these awful things that are happening. It's like, oh, the Browns lost. My day is ruined. Of course, that'd be a lot of days ruined. But um, No, that's, that's probably a frivolous example. But even to some of the more serious things, things that we look at that are just devastating. Do you ever think God just smiles and says, you know, I do feel for you and I'm sorry you're suffering, but I have the eternal perspective. God sees the end. God's outside of time. He's already at the end and he knows how it turns out. And he, imagine this, wasn't surprised by any of it. There's never a situation where you were going through, and I think I said this once before up there, up here, there's never a situation where you're going through and he says, Wow, I did not see that coming. Because he's God. And he knows how it ends. If you would, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Focus on that hope. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Step back to the beginning of that verse. Hope does not disappoint. 
Now, that's just not randomly any hope. I hope for this, I hope for that. I'm talking about true hope, which is what the focus of tonight's lesson is, having that true hope. Hope in the fact that we get to go beyond all this and there is a glorious end for us. Hope in Christ, a true hope. That kind of hope will not disappoint because no matter how much suffering we go through from now to that point, at the end, it's all good. It's all glorious. It's eternal satisfaction, eternal glory, painless, perfect existence. If our hope is to that, it will not disappoint. Will there be disappointments between now and then? Yeah. But hope, true hope, does not disappoint. Sometimes when there's something I'm really nervous about, okay, like when I know I'm going to teach on a Wednesday night and I'm standing up here singing and all of a sudden the nerve panic attacks just start striking, I sit there and I think, okay, no matter what, no matter how bad it goes, an hour from now, I'm done and on my way home. Okay? I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking past the thing I have to go through. Well, I think sometimes we may be able to treat life like that a little bit. My friend has got a lot to go through. He starts chemo. Matter of fact, he's probably doing it right now. Lord bless Dave. And if he focuses on this right here, and this problem right here, it's going to be awfully painful. And he's going to be painful. That's just sometimes there is pain and we're going to have to endure it. But if he can look past to either this is going to heal me or this won't work and I'm going to be in heaven. If he can look past to the eventual hope, hope does not disappoint. Turn to, a lot of flipping I know, Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verses, starting in verse 16. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that are seen are temporary. This is all temporary. The hurt, the pain, the suffering, the sadness... Every little bit of it, we can look past, look beyond, look to that half hour, that hour, that day, that lifetime. If we look beyond it, if we have Christ, that's the provision. If we have Christ, we look beyond that. We know that hope will not disappoint. And that these things here are temporary, but those things are eternal. I've got this saying I like to use when I'm, usually it's when I'm talking about selfishness, but it applies here too. When a person's selfish, I like to say that their world stops here, okay? They look this far. What affects me? You know, how does this affect me? Not what can I do for others, not how will this affect the people around me, but what affects me right here? In the same way, that's our problems. I've got this problem. Let's stare at it. This is my problem. Ever hold the old expression? I know this is cliche, but the old expression, don't tell... Don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. Okay? So if you're looking at your problem and it's right here, it's going to look huge. 
You ever seen one of those pictures? I took this, some pictures on, on our last camping trip where you have the family stand way far away and then I had Hope stand right up close to the camera and she's holding it and the problem looks, the, my family looks like they're sitting on her hand. And that's really cute. It's because we're far away. We're seeing it from a big perspective. Now you step up to the family real close, they're all you see in your vision, they look like you know, this big family. If they're standing 100 yards away, they look small. Well, 100 yards away or an eternity away, our problems are small. And notice what it said. It said our light affliction. The person that's writing this was not going through a light affliction. They're going through torture and imprisonment and persecution. Eternal perspective. Look past your nose. Let's finish up back where we started. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, and think about this differently. First we read it through and we heard it. But now apply it to what we just learned. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Hope in what? Hope in our circumstances? No. Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. My inheritance will not rust. It will not fade away. My inheritance will not. It's not like the investments in the stock market. They don't go up and they don't go down and then down and down and down. It stays. It's perfect. It's there. It's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept by God, not by our strength. He's keeping us for that day. Once we've given him our heart for salvation, we are kept by God. Okay? In this, you would greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, and it is a little while. How quickly does life pass? Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various, by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, because it's the thing you have that will not fade, like your gold, like your investments, like your home, like your health, but your face that is eternal, that is more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith is the one thing you have that's going to survive. When you get there at the end, your faith is made whole. Now you finally got to see what you were finally hoping for, because now you're there and now you see it. Glory and revelation of, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice. And this next expression is one of my favorites in Scripture, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. A non-Christian cannot feel that kind of joy. Any happiness that a non-Christian is going to feel is temporary because it's in their things and then they look for their next high. That's why all these famous people keep messing it up because they're looking, they got there and they still weren't happy. But we have, little old us in Hamler, Ohio, because of what we have, we have joy inconceivable and expressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith. Is the faith ending? No. The end, the goal. What is the goal of our faith? The salvation of your souls. That is our hope. And that's eternal perspective. We can't look here 
Because I know that right now some of you are going through trials. And I know that life is not perfect. But whether that thing we're looking towards is a day away, you know, a decade away, or a lifetime away, this is all still that light affliction that is temporary. Our perspective, the way we look at life, needs to be eternal. We need to look beyond our circumstances, beyond our troubles, beyond our hopes, beyond our happiness too. Things are sometimes going great, but don't get caught up in that either because it's still all temporary. Look beyond. Look eternally. Your Christian worldview needs to be one of eternal perspective. Look to the future. Look to where you're going to be. And the rest of it, I won't say it becomes irrelevant because God still gave us this life to live. But also, all of a sudden kind of puts it all in perspective. Things that maybe seem pretty devastating or things that seemed really great, they all just seem to be part of the tapestry that is God's design of our life. Keep this week your eternal perspective. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your scripture, for the word that constantly renews our minds and brings us back to the focus that we need to have. Help us to remember as we go forward that we just have to trust you, that we have to trust your character even when we don't understand your actions. Thank you, Lord, for this body of Christ, for the blessed church we get to be part of. Bless them as they go forth and keep us in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.